0: Peace in Every Language is a travel podcast that celebrates the wonder and joy of travel, as well as reporting on the constant comedic follies that inevitably meet us in life away from the places that we call home. We will see how the notion of peace, that Old Testament ideology of wholeness and fulfillment, are present throughout the world, and how we experience it and bring it home again. This segment of Peace in Every Language will follow us through several episodes as we travel through India and Nepal, and we are so glad to have you here with us today. While I'm recording right now in in my room, and the window's a little bit open, you might be able to hear a little bit of um, one of the Hindu temples ringing a bell and uh, singing in the background while we record this, which I think is appropriate. Um, We're talking a lot about um, some of the worship experiences we've had at some um, different places. Uh, In this segment, one of which I have to say, um, I think it's probably my favorite spiritual experience while traveling, possibly. Um, uh, we went to, um, Amritsar and, um, one of the most famous things in Amritsar is the Golden Temple, um you've never heard of the golden temple before it is uh, a Sikh installation it's probably it's the it's the holy site for the Sikhs Um, you can imagine um, the Sistine Chapel or something along those lines and um, it is a pretty incredible place not in the too distant Past um, there were tanks, and there was war, and there were parts of the complex that were that were um, broken, but a lot of that has been completely fixed, and um, the state has also taken the initiative to push back some of the vendors from the square that surrounds it let me, so let me describe what uh, the golden temple is like it is a temple. <laughs> Made of gold, uh the temple itself is not that big um, it 's probably i don 't know maybe um, thirty meters um, square uh It is very ornate uh, very beautiful, covered in gold, and um as the name suggests, <laughs> and um sits then. It's part of this larger complex that really kind of adds to the the grandeur of of the space. It sits surrounded by water on all sides. Um, More than a football field's uh, worth of water um, on all sides. And completely still, completely placid, uh, so it kind of sits in this reflective pool of glass um, when we went. Uh, we went in the morning and the light was, was pretty, pretty great. Um, so we got some really good, some really good shots of it. Surrounding that, well, there's a bridge that goes across the water to the temple um, where uh, worshippers can come. And uh, uh, surrounding that, there is a very large um, causeway. And then um, above the causeway or, or just on the other side of the causeway, opposite of where the water is, there is a large, like, Um, two- or three-story structure. It's also very ornate, decorated with um, crannulins and things like that. And the whole thing is carved white marble. (laughs) Um, And uh, so you can just imagine uh, how in the sun um, it just glows. And the gold that's on the temple, and there's some other domes that surround some of the entrances, Um, some of the gates that go into the temple complex, those are also covered in gold. And it's just... It's just breathtaking um, as soon as you come in. And uh, the, the squares that, that I was saying, they've, they've pushed back some of the uh, vendors and things, those are also white marble. <clears throat> and as is the practice in a lot of worship spaces um, uh, here, uh, you take your shoes off. Uh, and for the Golden Temple, you take your shoes off well ahead of time. So even coming across the marble square, you're walking um, barefoot. And um and this is one of those places where even socks are, are not okay. You need your bare feet to um uh, come onto the holy ground, so to speak. <laughs> um and part of that is because of this little um channel of water um that runs across all of the gates. And so you have to pass through the water. Your feet have to pass through the water, kind of slosh through a little man-made stream. Um To get into the temple complex proper. So before you go into the gates, before you see the Golden Temple, before you descend down into this, um, the the causeways of marble that surround the the water and the temple, you have to pass through the water. And um, water is very spiritual. Um, A lot of faiths, uh, Christianity certainly, um, have these feelings about water being cleansing and purifying and um, of course with the Christians, uh, connects us to our baptism. It connects us to community. It connects us to, um, uh, our, our expression of who we are as God's people. Um, so walking through the water, even just as the very beginning of the whole experience of the golden temple was pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Also just the bare feet, um, I don't know how folks feel about feet out there, but uh, (laughs) I know um, at our church we've tried to do some foot washings, or at other churches I've served we try to do some, and they have varying success. Um, Sometimes you don't get out of the gate (laughs) because people are just like, no, that's just not something we're going to do, and that's, you know, that's fine. Um, Like I said, people have a lot of different opinions about feet. Um, But when you do it, if you ever have done a foot washing, there is something humbling and uh, holy about it. And so coming across the marble, it's it's very cold marble. Uh, the nights are down to about oh, 10 or 12 degrees Celsius, which is somewhere around 40 or so, I think in Fahrenheit. Um, and so they're chilly. It's it's a chilly night and it's a chilly morning. There's a lot of fog and uh, the, the marble has absorbed cold or uh, released heat if you want (laughs) to think about how entropy works um it's released all of its heat and so it is chilly and so you're walking across this cold marble and then you're you're approaching the water and you go through the water and the first little surprise that you get is that the water is heated (laughs) um so you walk across into this warm water which makes you think of, I don't know, maybe the womb, maybe uh, comforting things, maybe, uh, you know, baths and, and those kinds of nice things. Uh, so it's not jarring at all. And so you walk out of that little um, stream that goes across the gates and, and you walk down and you see the temple and um, you have this moment of awe. You can see the reflection of the temple. The temple is shining. A little bit of morning sunlight. There's still some fog hanging around, uh, wisping above the water. And uh, you hear hymns. And I'll pause here because I recorded some of the hymns. And you can just listen in to a little bit of uh, this music, these hymns that are constantly playing, these Sikh hymns that are constantly playing. So you can hear a little bit of the crowd uh, there as well. And it, it is crowded, it's uh, uh, very popular. We went on um, a day that wasn't a festival of any kind for the Sikhs, uh, and it was still a lot of people. Um, they, I think they said they have something on, on festival days like, you know, five or six thousand people that'll come in or come through um, every few hours. <laughs> So in total, there's probably a million people that, that can come through on festival days. Um, so today wasn't, but it was still uh, pretty crowded, but it didn't feel the the size of the place. Just really, it doesn't make it feel like you're, you're crowded. Um, going to see the Taj Mahal actually was uh, a lot more um, crowded in, in spots um, because you kind of bunch up as people are going to go through uh, the, uh, the Taj itself, um, if you're not just kind of walking around in the garden grounds. So that was awesome, just to kind of um, walk around, to, to see the temple, uh, to kind of do a circuit uh, around it. Uh, in the waters that are surrounding the temple, um, there are spots where... Um, people, you know, the faithful can come and, and bathe again, the idea of that purity and, and the ritual of it. Um, people can come and bathe there. And a few of us, uh, um, put our feet in, um, as non Sikhs. Um, we just didn't feel like it was probably our place to, uh, fully immerse ourselves, but, but you can, uh, the Sikhs are open to it certainly. Um, and the Sikhs, if you if you if you don't uh, know, and you know, you can look this up, uh, probably faster and, and easier than I can sit here and explain it to you. But they are they're a monotheistic um, group, and um, it's not uh, Christian or Jesuit or Muslim uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But they are uh, monotheists and um, have a very uh, open and caring view of. Uh, other folks in the world. Um, They they tend not to um, disparage um, faithful people of other religions. And if you've seen them, uh, they may, you may, um, folks that are uh, from India or or, uh, converts, Uh, you'll see them, they have those very tightly wrapped turbans. Um, A lot of times uh, the men are bearded, and uh, the yellow, the um, that uh, kind of saffron or um, turmeric orange; those colors, uh, those are part of um, their faith practices. And that kind of leads into the other piece of our experience at the Golden Temple, which you know was the more powerful. Um, part of it. The, the temple itself is, is beautiful, yeah, and it, and it is a very spiritual place. Um, but the other part of it, the other part of what they do at the temple is that they feed people. And by that, I mean they just feed people all day, every day, regardless of who you are, for no money. It's just a part of their faith practice, a part of their practice of hospitality, a part of the practice of welcoming, a part of their understanding of what um, God, in their eyes, uh, has for them to do. The way in which they're going to interact with the world, uh, the way in which they're bringing peace, is to feed people. If you're hungry, you can come and sit down and be fed. And what that means, you know, if you think about the thousands of people that are there the number of people that they feed every day, and the mammoth infrastructure that that requires, and the dedication and the devotion of the folks who are Sikhs to support that. And not just monetarily, but I mean, we were uh, privileged, it was really wonderful, we got a chance to walk through the kitchens. Uh, and there are two stories of kitchens, right? They're on the grounds; they're part of the temple complex. And this 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 part of it has kind of been added on to in, in years, as, as more people have have been coming. Um, and uh, there's just there's there's number one. The first thing we saw was just the enormous number of plates, metal plates, which means someone's washing them. Uh, metal plates with me someone's handing them out Uh, as you come in they they hand you a plate uh, and they they show you where to go and things like that Uh, the second piece that we saw were just scores of uh, people who were peeling garlic cutting up vegetables uh, chopping um, uh, uh, peppers and chilies and and just just this I mean giant piles, big as a bean bag of garlic, uh, that this one woman, uh, was just, uh, she was the closest to us. And we kind of, uh, said hi and spoke with her a little bit. Um, she was peeling a pile of garlic as big as a bean bag chair. <laughs> and this, that was what she was doing. And this is, this is her faith practice to peel garlic so that people can be fed that day. Um, we went around uh, to to another uh, part of the kitchen, uh, the kitchen complex, I guess, uh, and there are giant vats where they are um, making the soups and sauces and curries and things that they are um, sharing with people. And the 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 vats are you know as big as a queen size bed. They're giant. They have these giant flames roaring underneath them. And they have these huge wooden paddles that they're mixing and, and churning the the soups and, and sauces with in there. And they've got, you know, giant tureens, you know, uh, uh, pots bigger than anything I've ever seen. Um, and, and I've cooked, you know, I've cooked for a, a lot of people. I've cooked for one, two hundred people. Um lunches and dinners and things, you know, I know what's involved with uh, just that many folks. I can't imagine, like, the scale of food production that they're doing by hand. You know, this isn't, this isn't giant mechanized uh, slurry. I mean, this is a, this has all the trappings of a factory, but everything's being done by people, you know, by hand. Uh, and um, you know, people are, are running back and forth, carrying different things constantly—bags uh, of rice, peeled garlic from the other sections, vegetables, all these other things, back and forth, back and forth. And we went upstairs, and um, one of the one of the biggest sections is uh, the bread, which is a staple. You know, the 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 flatbread um, that is served um, with just about. I'm trying to think. I think we've had it with almost every single meal we've had, or it's at least been offered, or, or uh, Papa doms or, or something. Um, so they have these... Uh, it was, um, let me see, I think it was like seven folks all sitting around a giant griddle, and there were people that were kneading the bread, there were people that were cutting the bread, there were people that were shaping the bread, there were people that were putting it on the the griddle, the giant griddle, and there was a fire underneath it, There was, and there was one woman... Uh, who was at, at this, the station we were at. And there are probably 40 of these stations, you know, if you imagine that, this giant open-air hallway filled with with fires and bread-making. And, uh, and then there's one woman who has this long little slender fork who's in charge of flipping the bread. And she was just, you know, there's probably, I think I counted about 35 um bread uh, on, on the, the Skittle at various stages of uh, being done, and she'll go through, someone will lay them all down, and boom, 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 she'll follow behind them and flip them over, and then she'll flip the next row, and then the next row, and the next row, and the next row, and by the time she gets back up to the top, the top layer is ready for its second flip, so she flips that forward, boom, 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 boom and somebody else lays another row behind that, and it was just... It was really fascinating uh, to watch. And then somebody at the end of that that little chain is, is pulling them off and putting them in a basket. And someone else is coming by and grabbing the basket and taking it down to feed people. And this was in the morning. You know, this is breakfast. This wasn't even the highest volume. And they did admit that they do have a machine for the bread <laughs> that they use on festival days. Because they've just, they've just found that no matter... No matter how many folks they have uh, there, they just they can't keep up. So they have gotten some uh, machines for the bread, but they don't use them unless it's a festival. So, um, and then you have folks who are collecting dishes and washing, you know, imagine, imagine the number of, of dishes being washed and put back out and just cleaning up and sweeping up and keeping things tidy. And this is um you know, I'll say this cuz I I think uh the the um <laughs> the US government would probably never allow this to happen if unless we could somehow get special uh faith dispensations. But everyone's barefoot. That's the other thing. I mean, this is part of the temple complex. So everyone is barefoot. You know, you're walking around hot oil and and fires and and all these other things, and they're just barefoot because this is still part, a deep, deep part of their faith practice. And that was what was overwhelming to me, is just the number of people that were there and just the, the commitment and the sacredness that feeding people had become that was what was really really powerful to just be able to say to someone like I don't care who you are where you came from I don't need to know uh, if you're looking for a job or if you really need a meal or how hungry are you or I don't have to have any of those questions answered it's just you've come into this place You've walked through the water, you've laid your feet bare, and you're invited to come and sit and eat until you're satisfied and full. And that is, that's an amazing message. I made the comment as we were walking out, I was really blown away by it. And I said to somebody, I said, you know, the Vatican doesn't have a soup kitchen. And I know that you know uh, our, our Christian faith and, and a lot of other faith practices. We we do we give money to organizations that feed people. Yes, of course. But the deep connection that having this kind of hospitality as part of their main uh, religious structure, I think that just spoke so many volumes of what they believe um, in the purest form, you know, there also as part of the temple complex, there is, um, one of their priests who is constantly reading, uh, their Holy book. And, um, I tell you the kitchen, uh, told just about everything you needed to know really, <laughs> uh, about it more than, uh, maybe something that you could get out of the scripture. Um, so we'll we 'll end this uh, cast with uh, another hymn. They also had like a little live group at one end of the um, complex where they were actually going into the temple itself proper uh, crossing the bridge and they had a little sweet um, uh, 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 ball of uh, wheat. And they would, that was their sacrament. They would take it, they would uh, give it uh, by the priest. They would take it into the temple on a leaf. It would be kind of blessed there in the presence uh, of uh, God in the temple. And then they would eat it. And so there was, that was kind of interesting too, like the sweetness of, of sacrament uh, in their eyes. Um, but right outside of that, there was a, a live group who was also uh, singing hymns. And so we will end with that. Yeah peace in every language is a raw recording podcast that is made as we travel so thank you for your patronage and patience as we go and now as we close this episode we are going to remind ourselves of the words of dr carson Brisson who closed every class with a dear love and appreciation of our work as students, may you be blessed to be a blessing. And may peace, true peace and wholeness, find you wherever you are and wherever you call home. Shalom.